If you back up farther back into the Gospel of John, you will read several times where Jesus would say, My hour has not yet come. So he goes from my hour has not yet come when he told his mother that he, he couldn't, you know, when she asked him about the problem with the, at the Feast of Canaan, the wedding feast, that his hour had not come. In verse 16, he says, the hour is coming. And in verse seven, chapter 17, verse 1, he says, it's here. The hour is here. So what is he talking about? What hour? He's actually talking about the hour when he will be crucified on the cross of Calvary, when his resurrection will take place, when he'll go back to the Father. In other words, the, the, the time that he will complete his mission here on the world, in the world. And, and now it's here. And now it's here. <clears throat> now, Jesus is not saying the hour is right now. That's not what he's saying. This very moment. He's saying that it, it, it's that time and his ministry that he will be concluding the work and going back to the Father. So, why is he telling his disciples this? Now, who's his audience right now? It's his apostles, right? The eleven apostles. Because there are not twelve apostles right now. Remember, Judas has already vacated his position, and now he's got eleven apostles. So, he's he's with, gathered with his apostles. And, and so, as you look through this prayer... And in fact, we've been often told this is, of course, God's prayer for unity for His apostles. But I want to tell you something. There is something very, very special to you and I as the saints today in this chapter. And I do not want you to miss that, okay? So we're going to focus and point that out when we get to it. Okay, so uh, Jesus says, I came into the world to do your will. I've done the job that you gave me to do. And Father... He's going to go on to say in a few minutes that he says, I've protected and, and, and been with and taught those that you have given me. Uh, which is kind of an interesting thing to think about that Jesus is saying to his father, these apostles you have given me. How, how could that be? How was it? I thought Jesus chose the apostles. He chose the disciples, right? The fishermen. And, but how did he do that? Do you think he just helter-skelter went around went around uh, the country and said, oh, this guy looks good, this guy looks good, this guy looks good? No. I don't think that's what happened at all. According to his father, you can, you can almost be assured, even though you may not read it in scriptures, the men that were chosen as apostles were godly men. They were men who were keeping the law. These were men who, who, who loved God even before Jesus chose them, they were good men. So, but but Jesus says to his father, he says, "I have I have been with them, I have taught them your word, your and I have given them your will, and now, Father, I'm going to have to leave these guys. So, what do you think his prayer is going to be for these apostles now?" That they, that they continue to be united together, right? In purpose and in prayer. And continue to do the work that, that Christ is no longer going to be able to do. But there's also something else that's very, very sweet about his prayer. He prays, and we haven't got there yet, but we're going to see it. He prays for their protection. 
He prays for their protection. Because if you'll remember in chapter 16, what's going to happen? Is the world going to accept the apostles? No. Not at all. In fact, Jesus said, if they they hated me, they're going to hate you also. Jesus would say, if they rejected the word that I brought from my Father, they're going to reject your word also. So Jesus is priming his apostles for this fact that, listen, their, their, their time on earth after he leaves is not going to necessarily going to be an easy road. It wasn't easy for Jesus. It wasn't going to be easy for them. So he prays that they be united. Uh, but in verse 3 says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ you have sent. So, he says in the last couple of verses there, verses 4 and 5, he says, I, I, finished, I finished my work, I've done the things that I've come to do, and now I'm going to leave them. So look, in verses 6 through 12, Jesus prayed that his apostles would keep, be kept close to God. Okay? So, we're going to read those verses, verses 6 through 12. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. They have kept your word. Now, they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. And for I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. Do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am in no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. So, we, of course, we recognize John chapter 7 as the chapter of unity, right? What was Jesus pleading for? What was his prayer? Again, that these apostles be united in purpose, right? Do you think that Jesus was a little bit concerned that unity was going to be a problem? Well, hadn't it already been a problem? Remember when Jesus was walking and talking sometimes? What was his apostles behind him doing sometimes? Arguing about what? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, right? So uh, there's a bit of problem already in that they've already been discussed this situation. They weren't totally unified. So Jesus tries to bring them back together as he gives them an example of what a great servant in the kingdom of God looks like. And what does that servant look like? How did Jesus, how did Jesus signify a great servant? When he did what? When he washed, when he washed their feet, right? When he washed their feet. He says, as you have seen me do, the Son of God do, he said, you do also. So he said, look, we don't, want, we don't want division, we're not going to strive. Do you think that Jesus knew that division was going to be a problem after he left? Before the end of the first century, before the end of the first 100 years of the church, what is Paul writing to Corinth about? Division. Division. But, but it wasn't only division because some were saying, I was, I was baptized of Apollos, or I was baptized of Paul, or I was baptized of this person. You know, Jesus would point out to them in that chapter 
He says, was Paul crucified for you? No. He said, you were all, you're all children of God. We baptized for the same reason. And who baptized you is not important. Why you were baptized is important. So, Jesus knew that unity was going to be a problem. That wasn't the only problem they had in Corinth. In fact, if you read those two letters, you'll find out that they had some problems with other things too, right? In Corinth, that Paul would write about. But he knew, Jesus knew that unity was going to be a problem. There were going to be people in the world who were going to want to come into the world and say, you know what? In fact, I'm going to save that thought just for a little bit later because I want to kind of bring it to an end. But So Jesus described the apostles this way. He says they were exposed to God through him. Chapter 17, verse 6. He says they belonged to him. Verses 6 and 7 and 9 and 10. They had received the truth from Jesus. Chapter 17, verse 8. They are subject to his prayers. Verse 9. He, glorif- he, he was glorified in them. Verse 10. He says, with his imminent departure, the apostles would be left without what? Whenever Jesus was gone, who's going to be their protector? Who's going to watch over them day and night and provide for them? So Jesus' prayer is that, Father, these guys need some protection. They need for you to be with them. Jesus prays that God would protect them and keep them close to him. In other words, what? Focused on the mission. Focused on the mission. He says, God, I want you to, my work has got to continue, but I'm not going to be here to do it. So these 11 apostles are going to be charged with the responsibility of doing the work that I am not going to be here to do. Father, they're going to need your protection. Why? Because in chapter 16, Jesus says, they hated me, the world hated me, and they're going to hate you too. And you stop and think about what Jesus has gone through in his three years of ministry, the ridicule, the, the, the false accusations, uh, the false accusations at his trial, the trials he's going to have to go for, the mock trial, the mock trial his, his, his literal crucifixion, all these things, Jesus knew their life was not going to be easy. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Looking at verses 13 through 19. Jesus prays that his apostles would be protected in the face of persecution. Verses 16 through, uh, I'm sorry, verses uh, 13 through 19. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the, in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not in the world. I do not pray that you shall take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. So, when you, when you look at, again, continuing to look at this prayer, he says he wanted them, he says in the first place, he wants them to have joy. How was it that they were going to have joy knowing that they're going to be persecuted and treated just like the Christ was treated when he was here. Where would their joy come from? I'm sorry? 
be, their joy is, their joy will come. And in fact, he later on says this in the same chapter, Robert, that he says he wants them to enjoy the same heavenly home with his father that he's going to enjoy right now. But in this life, how would, how would the apostles find joy in the life that they were going to live after Jesus is gone? Well, how do you find joy today? How do you find joy as a Christian today? The hope, the hope that we have, right? Yeah? What else has Jesus afforded us today in the world that, that other people in the world do not enjoy? The, the Word, right? How about just, how about this just, this idea of that we have in heaven a home prepared for us if we remain faithful unto death? Wouldn't that bring you joy? Doesn't that bring you joy today? Knowing that Everything that God has said in His Word is good for you. There's, there's nothing that God has said He wants His church or His people to do that is not the best thing for you. Folks, that's powerful. That should bring you great joy. Did Jesus say your life is going to be easy? No, He didn't say that. Did Jesus say you're never going to have troubles and you're going to be financially rich and all of you? No, He didn't say that. But He said you can have joy in this life and he wanted his apostles to find that joy. Doing what? Doing his will. Enjoying the same promises that he had from the Father. Knowing that in the end, in the end, that's where we're going to be rewarded, right? We should, we, we should count it all joy to teach others about the Savior that we know. Do, do, do you understand the treasures that we have as God's children? The special knowledge that we have that brought us to the truth, we have that in earthen vessels, right? That we can share with the world and bring the world joy to. So Jesus wanted them to find joy. Chapters. I'm sitting right under a vent. You keep turning my page here, okay? Um, so he said that he said, I want them to have this joy in, in verse 13. Uh, now I come to you that these things I speak in the world that they may have have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus Jesus felt he didn't do you think Jesus felt bad about the fact that he was mistreated, that people uh, made fun of him, that uh, made false do you think that he felt bad about that? I'm sure he didn't enjoy that part, but he did find a great deal of joy in doing his father's will. In fact this whole prayer, if you stop and think about this prayer, isn't he expressing his happiness and his joy in the fact that he was able to come into this world and do what no one else would ever be able to do. He found great joy in that, Father. He would say, you know, in his life, he, said, uh, he, he knew he was going to have to suffer. In fact, we find when he gets to the garden, he, he, he utters another prayer to his Father. He said, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But there was no other way. But Jesus counted it a joy to become the suffering Savior that he became for our sins. He, he can, and he wanted the apostles to know, look, your, your life's not going to be easy. You're going to be mistreated. The world's going to hate you. They're not going to accept your word. They didn't accept my word. It's going to be a tough place. But in all of that, you can find joy. I, 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 sometimes I, I, I look at people in, in the church sometimes, and you think, well, those guys don't ever smile. They don't have anything to be happy with. We have everything to be happy about. Everything in this world, and sometimes we overlook. 
Because they are not like the world around them. The world will not understand them. And what does the world do about things they don't understand? They turn on it, right? Isn't that true today? Things that we don't know about or things that kind of puzzle us, we, we turn on it. And that's what Jesus said was going to happen. What the world doesn't understand, it will hate. Jesus prays for their protection. He says, Father, I'm not going to be here to protect them. So you're going to have to do that. He prays that he will do exactly that. In verses 20 through 23, oh, I'll, I'll make one more point. Number C under Roman number, Roman number three. What sets them apart from the world? What makes what made the apostles different from other people in the world? It was, it was it was the word of God. It was the truth of God that they had come to believe. Right? It was this it was this association with Christ. It, it's the fact that they finally realized that Jesus indeed is the Son of God, sent from God to do God's will. Now, how do I know that? I want you to back up with me now to chapter 16, last couple of verses in chapter 16. And Jesus is, uh, is talking to his disciples. And if you look at verse 30, it says, they, they said, yep, this is the apostles. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you by this, we believe that you came from God. By what? What is it they finally realize? That, that Jesus, what, and Jesus has said it himself in chapter 16. He said, you need to understand the words that I speak are not my words. The power that I have in this world is not for me. Jesus was not seeking glory or honor for himself. He was seeking glory and honor for his Father. He said, I want you to know, he said, this message that I bring to you is not for me. And now this, the disciples said, we, we believe that now. We, we understand that, if you will, the last part of that. So Jesus answered them, verse 31, do, and, and listen, it's a question mark. Do you now believe? And it is almost as if Jesus said, finally, you get it. Finally, you get what I've been trying to tell you for three years. You finally get it. He said, indeed the hour is coming, yes, and now has come that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone, and yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. How do you think they felt about that statement that Jesus made? I, I, I'm like you, right. brother? I, uh, Dale, I don't think they did either. Did they think that they were going to be scattered like sheep and go to their own homes and go back to their jobs? They didn't believe that for a minute. They, they had just said, now we understand who you are. You're God's son. We understand these words are like... They just heard all that and said that, right? And then Jesus said, and yet, and yet, before too many days, you will be scattered like sheep without a shepherd. These things I have spoken to you, verse 33, that in me you may have peace, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So they, they have finally you know, come to the point that said, we understand now. In fact, it was kind of interesting if you look back in chapter 16, because they said, you know, before you talked to us in kind of like uh, riddles or things that were kind of hard, but now we, we understand what you're saying. And that's what they're saying in verse 16. So Jesus says, okay, I've got this special prayer. I need to pray for you. And he utters that prayer. 
And that's what chapter 17, this is Jesus talking to God on behalf of his apostles. But, for his apostles alone? And this is the verse that I really want you to grasp. Grab a hold to and never, ever forget. Look at verse 20. Well, verse 19, once again, And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified by the truth. Verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through the word. Do you understand that that's Jesus praying for you and I today? That's Jesus is saying for everybody that these apostles go and teach the word. I'm praying for those... How did you become a Christian today? Did you not come a Christian through knowledge of God's Word? And God's Word came to you from the apostles and from the writers of the New Testament. And we, we came to that. And Jesus is saying, for you, I am praying. Folks, that's powerful. The Son of God. The Son of God talking to His Father says, I want to pray, Father, not just for these of my apostles who are with me today, but for every child of God that would come to me through truth from here on out. Folks, that's you and I. That's powerful. That is very powerful. So Jesus prayed for all believers, verses 20 through 23. Verse 21 says that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. I and them, and you and me. And what, and that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved me as you have loved, and may love you as they have loved me. And, and there's that prayer for unity. It was, it was, it was Christ's desire. It was Christ's desire and his mission. The, the, the word that he preached from his father would not divide the world. That's, that's not what he wanted. His hopes was that his word, the truth, the word from God, would unite the world, right? Bring the world together as, as, as in one. And the father said, they will be in me like I am in you. And, and they will be unified as you and I are unified. That was his prayer, folks. What has happened then in the world that we live today? Because I can tell you right now, we are nowhere close to being what Jesus wanted. Where, where, where did the train leave the tracks? And the sad part about it is, it wasn't a hundred years, or two hundred years, or a thousand years after Christ came and said that, that they start having problems in the world. So it was shortly, you know, we talked about Corinth already. They, they, they not only had some differences, ideas concerning baptism and who was, uh, who was baptized by who. They had problems with religious gifts, did they not? Some, some would think my religious gift is better than your religious gift because this, that, or the other. There, there were some problems and divisions there. They had some problems with marriage, right? Isn't that one of the reasons that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth? Because of the, the, the problems they have in marriage in the church? It didn't take a hundred years or a thousand years for this problem that Jesus foresaw to start plaguing the church. In fact, it, I, I would imagine that Jesus hadn't even been in the grave very long uh, before 
people start making up some things that aren't true about Jesus. In fact, even, even his apostles, think about this just for a moment. After he goes to the crucifixion, he's buried in the grave, and, 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 and his apostles come back, and, and what do they say? Do they say, Jesus has arisen? No. They said somebody stole his body. Somebody stole, somebody stole Jesus' body. They still, they still were having a difficult time understanding and accepting all those things that Jesus had trying to teach them was going to take place. It didn't take very long for people to come along and insert other ideas about, about everything that you can possibly imagine in religion today. You know, what, yeah, baptism is important. Jesus talked about baptism, but really, is that what's really important? And, and, and by the way, why do you have to go into a watery grave? Why don't we just do a little sprinkling? And you know what? If we did that when they were babies, we wouldn't have to worry about that for the rest of life. They would be saved. And you know, once you're saved, you're always saved. Well, th- that doesn't sound like what Jesus says, does it? Jesus wanted these apostles united in the Word, right? So what causes division today? It's pretty simple. You don't have to think about it very long. People don't know what the Word says. Because the Word hasn't changed. The Word hasn't changed. It's still the same Word that Jesus gave His apostles. It's the truth. And, and that's, what, that's what could and would have and should have united the world. But it didn't. People started inserting all their ideas, all their opinions, and all this about that. And, and, and now we have the religious state of the world today. And you know, here's an interesting thing. People are today, a lot of people today in the Christendom world are saying, you know what? We ought to be united. Isn't that what Jesus said 2,000 years ago? We should be united, but can we be united and still hold all of our different opinions about all those things that brought us into the kingdom? It's not going to be possible. Listen, Jesus would talk about in His ministry, speak, He would say, speak the same thing. He would say, be perfectly joined together. Be of the same mind. Be like-minded. Have the same love of one accord. Preferring one another with one accord and one mouth. And then he would say in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, he says, you know, when you stop and think about the state of the religious world today, when he said, in, in, when Paul wrote that letter, he said, one body, one spirit, one hope, one God, one faith, one baptism. And, and how can the world be united? If we have all these different opinions about all that, we can't. Because Jesus also talked about being unequally yoked, right? See, what compromises are we willing to make today to be united with quote-unquote Christians of the world? You're going to have to give up something, right? You're going to have to give up something. Because we certainly can't be united holding on to the things that we believe is right and truth and still accept all those other people and all their religious thoughts and beliefs also, right? You're going to have to make compromise. And unfortunately, brother, we have churches in the brotherhood that are willing to do that. They'll make those compromises. Why? So that we can be united. 
just like Christ wanted us to be. You're not, that was Christ's dream. But he says, you can't be united in any way except in truth. Only in God's Word. We've got to come back to the standard. Do I believe at all that we will ever achieve this united state that Christ wanted in, in my lifetime or your lifetime? I do not. I, I, I would love to say that, yeah, someday I believe that we will all come together and we will all turn to the Word of God and we will use that as our standard and we will all follow that and we will all be united and we'll all go to heaven. And it's the... I don't think that's going to happen. Why? Because egotistical men, right? People seeking their own glory. They weren't looking to honor. People aren't looking. A lot of people today aren't looking to honor Christ. And that's what Jesus was praying for, right? He said, Father, I want my apostles to honor me the way I have honored you by doing your will. By doing your will. By doing those things that you gave me to do. But unfortunately today, people want to do what they want to do, believe what they want to believe, and still want to be united together as one in Christ. It can't happen. It can't happen. So, if you, if you go on to the last part of the chapter there, verses 24 through 26, look at the last couple of verses. Father, I desire that they also, I, that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may... Uh, behold my, my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known you that, uh, that you sent me. And I declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. So Jesus' prayer is that his apostles would be able to enjoy heaven with Him as He glorified His Father. But that's Jesus' prayer for you and I today too. His prayer is that we will go to the standard. We will uphold our lives by the standard, learning His Word, obeying His Word, so that we can be unified together in this life and that we can enjoy heaven with He and His Father. That's, his, that's what His prayer is. How is that going to happen? It can only be happened... If, if we will come back to the standard and we will believe and teach and, and bring people to the standard. We cannot be diversified, believing just any and everything you want to be and feel like or know that we're going to enjoy heaven with Christ Jesus because that's not going to happen. What are some lessons we can learn from this? I, I don't know if we have time. The glory of God should be our goal in all things. To honor God. To honor God should be our goal. What if I, if you stop and think about what? Why did God create men in the first place? Did He not create man that He would be honored and given the glory? To know God and to know Jesus is eternal life. But that's more than just knowing about God or about Jesus. It's knowing God to the point that we exercise ourselves in learning His Word and doing His will. One way in which we glorify God is by by fulfilling His will. Unity is important to God. It was important to Jesus. It's important to God today. But not, not by the rules that man has established. It's going to be by his rules. To follow Jesus is to be hated by those who don't. It is our relationship of truth to the Word of God that sets us apart from the world. 
Jesus says we cannot be like the world and be his disciple. You will either love one and you will hate the other. He says we're going to have to be separated by the truth. And Jesus, and this is the one that I want you to hold on to. If you don't get anything else today, verse 20, chapter 17, Jesus prayed for you. And he prayed for me. And that's special. To know that the Son of God would pray thousands of years down the road before we came into the world, after he left, that he would be praying for you and I today. That's powerful, folks. Very powerful. Any thoughts or comments? We're, we're just fixing to be turned loose or turned upon by the, those in the, in our, coming in from the classes. Yes, George. And, and, and Jesus, I don't think Jesus was teaching that he thought that man would be unified. I think he taught, you know, this is never going to happen. Straight is the way, narrow is the path that leads to life everlasting, and few there be that find it. Broad is the path that leads to destruction. And, and many people are finding themselves on that broad path. Why? Because they don't know the standard. They don't know the will. They don't know what Christ desires. Other comments real quickly? Some of you guys are like way over there, scattered out. If there's no other comments, then I would turn your attention to John chapter 18 for next week's lesson. And lucky for you, Eddie will be back.